Let me have a word of prayer, and then we're taking off into our Bible study. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being holy and majestic, and thank you for being loving and gracious. Thank you for providing forgiveness in Christ so that we can sit here this morning and have the confidence that we are going to one day be in heaven because of your grace, not our goodness. There is none. It's only by your grace that we can even have that hope of being in heaven one day with loved ones and with you forever. Thank you for designing that plan that Jesus Christ came, gave his life, was buried and then rose again that third day so that he could conquer sin, provide forgiveness, pay for our sins, and then work through the Spirit of God to woo us into a spot where we responded to the gospel. Thank you for being merciful to us. Thank you for giving us Bibles. Thank you for giving us the ability to know your word. Thank you for allowing us to live in a time where the vast majority, if not all of us, we have had the privilege of being educated so we could read. And thus we have Bibles that we can read. And some of us, we even have the technology that we can carry it around in our phones and in our pockets that we can pull it out any time. Thank you for allowing us to live in this day and this time. We pray that you would please bless in some of the degrees and some of the ideas and some of the matters that we have here for our concerns. We have loved ones. We have family members. We have church members that we're concerned about. We're really praying and ask that you would please bless Alberta. Help her in her difficult time. Assist her through her cancer battle and even encourage Larry as he stands beside her and goes through it with her. We pray as well that you bless Pastor Griffith across town as he's going through his cancer battle. That you please strengthen. We hear that it was a tough week for him with the chemo and we pray that you would just strengthen him, assist him, his wife, his family. We pray as well, Father, that you would help with Adrian and Anna as they make plans for married life together. We ask that you would continue to bless and direct and thank you so much for their testimonies and their faithfulness and the way you have guided and directed them together. We pray that you would please bless with even the foodstuffs that were given yesterday along with the packets of information. I pray that, Father, please, you would use the literature, you would use the expression of compassion to work in hearts and lives and that some may respond to the literature that was there that they may even get born again if they're not saved. We pray, too, that you would please bless our country. We would pray that you would guide and direct and give wisdom for the upcoming elections. But, Lord, even after the elections, with the possibility of chaos and confusion, with the possibility of all kinds of overt reaction, I pray that that would not be the case. I pray that you would please work in our nation, that we as believers would be able to do exactly what your word asks us to pray for, that we'd be able to live quiet and peaceable lives, That is, that we'd be able to live in such a way that we can focus in on giving out the Word of God in freedom, that we'd be able to declare Christ's name across this world without political limitations and problems. So I pray, help us with what a time we have and the advantages we have and the technology we have to be proactive as best as possible that we can get out that gospel. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his word. Thank you for our family, church family and friends. And I pray as we look into this passage that you would help us to be able to glean much from it and not only glean it, but then to live it in the days ahead. So please bless this Bible study, we pray. Help the kids in their junior church and then give us a good day where we honor you by our activities, our conduct, our fellowship. And that this week we seek to magnify Christ better than what we did this past week. We pray in his name. 
Amen. Join me. We're headed to the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Before you jump too far ahead, let me do a poll with you. Let me do a survey with you. Let me ask you these questions. This is a recent survey that's taken here in America. It says the world, <clears throat> but it was focusing more in America. And they asked people, can you name the most respected professions, occupations? What do you think they said? What do you think were some of the top answers they gave? You know, this type of profession, this, this, this vocation would be one of the most respected. What's that? Doctors. Okay. Teachers. Okay. Athletes. Okay. Pastors are not there, I'll guarantee that. Okay, they're not there. Okay. Here's, here is, I'll go from the top down. Here is what was said to be the most, you know, enviable, respected, honest situations. Nurses, firefighters, military officers, medical doctors, grade school teachers. They, they differentiated between high school, college, and grade school. Okay. Engineers, pharmacists, dentists, daycare workers, and police. Kind of surprised me police were there at this time. But then they said, okay, what are the least respected? Okay. Politicians? Uh, really? You would think politicians could possibly be there? Lawyers? Car salesmen? Huh. Lawyers was mentioned. Any other ideas? Okay, here you go. These are the top bottom. I'm going from the bottom. The top, number one, is the worst. Okay. So, the tenth one was auto mechanics. Number nine, clergy. Understand why. Okay, understand why. Is there a lot of churches having issue with clergy who have done abuse? Okay, so that's, that, that we understand why. Bankers and funeral directors, they kind of went right together. Okay, nursing home. Now, some of you are going to get up and walk out because you might be here, but if I'm staying, you can stay too. Okay, nursing home operators, lawyers were there. Telemarketers were right in there. Okay, number four, TV reporters and journalists. Are you surprised? <laughs> okay. Number three, car salesmen. Okay. Number two, lobbyists. Number one, members of Congress. Okay. It was specific, members of Congress. Okay. The reason I bring this up is because the same survey was done back in the 90s, in 99, and there was one that was put in there as the most respected that no longer appears. It was number six. And no longer is it as promoted as what it used to be. Number six was housewives as the most respected. Now it doesn't even appear on there. That, does that surprise us? Okay. Has the family, the nuclear family, nuclear family is man, woman, and children. Okay. Has the nuclear family come under attack? The traditional family. It really has. Between the feminist movements, gay rights, growing number of drugs. When I say welfare state, what I mean by that is, and we've run into it here in our community, people who are encouraged, discouraged from marrying because they can get more funding by just living together. Okay. And so we have that. It doesn't surprise me. And again, I'm going to be totally politically incorrect. And I may be offensive to some. And I don't mean that. I'm just trying to set the scene. There are even groups, philosophies, that contribute to some of this family discussion. Marxism was written and talked about in the, in the early 1900s, and its whole viewpoint is family is bad because family keeps possessions within family members. It's called passing down you know, um, 
uh, heirlooms, passing down money. And therefore, in the socialist concept, it's supposed to, everything's supposed to be shared everywhere. And so that a whole idea that, you know, that, that Marxist, communism, socialism, it was basically laying a foundation. Now, if you Google, and again, this may be politically incorrect, but if you Google anti-family right now, the one that's going to come up multiple times is the group Black Lives Matters. Our issue is not with Black Lives Matters. It's with their viewpoint in this first paragraph. Okay? Because all lives matter. Your life matters. Okay? Black, yellow, whatever. Every life matters. But when the people who first started this said, our goal is to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, I have issue with that biblically. Okay, that, that, that's a wrong... Now, in fairness, if you go to the website now, that paragraph has been taken down since June. You'll still find it in other writings. But it was prescribed with that idea that they're going to promote a different type of lifestyle and not necessarily a nuclear family. And so we look at that and say, okay, that's not, that's not a good thing. Is there hope then with all these different influences? What about the hope for our future? Can I give you a couple positive surveys that were taken? One was taken in Japan, and one out of Jap- four Japanese girls in 2020 said, my goal in life is to become a housewife. Then there was another survey taken in 2016 and 17. They've been following it up now each year. And they asked, Michigan, uh, they asked students across the nation, high school seniors, they asked them two questions several questions, but two that they asked, do you agree with this or disagree? It was very interesting. Here was one of the questions. The best family arrangement is where the man is the primary income earner and the woman primarily focuses on the home. Agree or disagree? 1994, the number of seniors that agreed with it was only 42%, but in this last latest uh, survey, 58% agreed. And they're wondering if there's a trend now that people are saying, young people are seeing that that whole idea of getting away from mom and dad and the nuclear family, and they've seen that it isn't working, that maybe there's a switch and a swing in the pendulum. The second question they ask, the husband should ultimately make the final call on important decisions in the family. Agree or disagree? 94th, only 30%. 2015, 40% agree with that. And so they're wondering if there's a turnabout, if there's a change taking place. Well, we know that the only way that the change is taking place is if we make sure we get what the Word of God says is out. We get it out, what the Word says. And so you and I, we're interested in the polls, we're interested in watching trends, but more importantly, we're interested in what does God tell us to do? What does God say about family? And he does talk about family. In the section of Colossians, chapter 3, where we're up to in our verse-by-verse study, we're going to talk about family. And he's going to make some observations. Now, some of you haven't been with us. Some of you might be joining for the first time online or here in the auditorium. Let me back up before I read the passage and let me set the tone and explain the book where we're at so far. When we've started with the book of Colossians, we said that there's a major theme. I'm I'm tempted to say, do you remember what the major theme is? But I don't want to be really discouraged by nobody remembering. So I'll just state it, okay? The major theme of the book is Christ is to be preeminent. Chapter 1, verse 18, Christ is to be preeminent in all things. Chapter 2, verse 10, he is the fullness of all and he should be magnified as such. And we talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the reasons that he is supposed to be magnified is because he's our creator 
and he's our completer. Salvation is in Christ alone. He is the one who's given us the spirit. He's the one who's given us hope. He guides and directs in our lives. And so because of the uniqueness of Christ, because of the magnanimity of Christ, because of his, pre, his, his power and his person, we're supposed to make him preeminent. Now chapters 3 and 4 says, how do you do that? The beginning of chapter 3 starts off and says, okay, the first thing you do is to make sure that you get rid of godless vices. Put off. Put off the anger, the wrath. Put off the jealousies. Put off the immoralities. Very clear. First few verses. Then he says, put on. Put on long-suffering. Put on purity. Put on thankfulness. We talked about that already. Then, in verses 15 and 16 and 17, he stated, then you need to adopt Several governing principles or values need to be thankful. You need to be one that works at peace with all peoples. You need to be one who is making sure that in whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of Christ. And you need to make sure that the word of God is dwelling within you. That you are making decisions based upon the word of God. After he has stated that, after he says, now here's where you need to be as a church body, as individuals with Christ guiding, Christ directing, magnifying Jesus Christ, then he shifts into, here's what it'll look like in your home. Here's how it portrays itself in your family life. That's chapter 3. Verse 18, if you jump with me and look. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. The next verse could be work or home. In the ancient culture, probably more home. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve Jesus Christ. So in this text, as you look at it, we're going to start with it, and we're going to take our time walking through these few verses. He starts off in this passage talking about different family members. That immediately means to some of you, I'm tuning out. I'm done. I'm not a wife. I don't need to listen. Okay, I, that's something that's way in the future in my life, or that's something that, you know, uh, I've already had that experience, but the Lord has taken my husband home, or I'm no longer married by divorce. Or maybe you're sitting here and saying, I'm a guy. <clears throat> this message then doesn't apply to me at all. Okay, you know, I wish my wife were here and she were listening, and I'll make sure she stays awake if she is next to me, but this isn't for me. Or you're a teen and you're saying, again, Pastor, you're going to be talking to adults today. You're not talking to me. May I encourage you to listen? Listen not only because it's God's word, but for those of you who are looking forward to someday being a wife, you need this material. Those of you who are wives, you need this material. Those of you who have daughters, granddaughters, sisters, you need this material in order to help them to become the person that God wants them to be. And so it has value. In fact, the first, the first service we had this morning, the, uh, the one at 8.30, it is almost everyone is gray-haired in that service. And I reminded them that for those individuals who are, when we get through this whole text, where we're, we're talking about kids and all that, doesn't Titus say, let the older women teach the younger woman. Well, you can't do that if you don't know what it says. So please don't do this. Hang with me. 
don't turn me off yet, okay? Those of you at home, follow through and get the material because this passage, this first phrase, is loaded and talks to both genders. In the text, he starts off and he talks to wives, okay? We read it, he talks about wives, talks about husbands, talks about kids, talks about parents. My question to you is, why does he talk to the wives first? Why does God, in directing Paul, why does he say, Paul, the first persons you want to talk to are the ladies? Should I tell you what some authors have said? It's because the ladies are the biggest problems in the church. Some have said it's because the gals. They, they're, they're the ones that need it the most. There are some who say the reason that he talked to the ladies and the wives first is because they made up most of the church. The church and the, a false impression, but the idea that the church is mostly female-dominated. I, both of those, uh, those reasons I totally discount. I reject. Okay. However, I think this is a poss- strong possibility that he's looking and saying the ladies are very important and influential. That they are really, really going to make an impact on families and homes. And to that we will all say, amen. That's true. That's true. And I think what he's doing in this text is showing that this isn't a culture issue. Culture that says... Back in those days, ladies were second-class citizens. I think God is making it very clear. I consider ladies very, very important because they're the first group I'm going to talk to. Back in those days, if you were writing an uninspired piece of literature, you would say, men, tell those women. Tell your woman what to do. God doesn't do that. God doesn't put the man in a place of dictating. He says, I'm going to speak directly to you ladies because you are important people. And so to me, I understand that God speaks to the ladies first because they need to be elevated in the Christian church compared to the culture around them. And so in speaking to the ladies, he says to them, and this is the part that that we always get reaction to, he says, ladies, submit. Right away, everybody just thinks modern terminology and what submit means, and it's so bad. Listen to the biblical term back in that day, what the word meant. The word was hupotasso. That doesn't mean anything but other than to say, what did that word mean at that time? It could be used in a military sense. It was the idea that you get your whole barracks out, you all line up, and you lined up in a certain spot. That your team, that your group, that your company, you all had some assignment given to you, and ladies, you have an assignment given to you. Your assignment is to basically follow the orders, take a position of following. Following the commander, following the sergeant, following whoever's in charge so that you can best, as a group, in the sense of a spiritual battle, combat all the afflictions that are coming against us in this world. And so, ladies, what I want you to do is take your position. Your position is going to be more of following. And as he develops this and we think this through, let me state what this does not mean. This does not mean that God is saying, I'm attacking ladies. I think ladies are inferior or incompetent. That the ladies have to follow because they don't have the wherewithal to do otherwise. That is not what this text teaches. Not at all. In fact, take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, a parallel passage that talks about ladies submitting, but I want you to see something there. And I want to remind you that ladies are really, really, really competent. <laughs> One little girl thinks to put it this way. She was asked in her Sunday school class, she was asked, like all the kids, can any of you tell me the story of creation and what happened? And the little girl raised her hand and says, I know, I know, I can tell you how it happened. And the teacher said, okay. 
Tell us how God went about creating. She stood up and she says, well, God on the sixth day, he created all the animals and everything, and he created man. He created Adam. And after God watched Adam for a while, God said, I can do much better, so he created Eve. Now that's, that's you know, we know that didn't quite work that way. But that, the passage that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is really, really an insightful passage for you who are going to have Bible discussions with other friends and family that say that the Bible use, tells the wife to submit. That means that that's a terrible thing or it's putting, them down, putting her down. That's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Actually, I'm doing verses 2 and 3. It says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. You've got to mark this next verse. This is so important in this subject. I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Look at those, the, those words again. This is what he's saying. This is what he, men are to submit, to submit to Christ. True, false? That's true. Men are, the head of man is Christ. The passage says the head of the woman is the man. Women are supposed to submit to their husbands. True? Oh, come on. Okay, okay. It's, it's true. It's a truism. That's what this text is talking about. Women are to submit to the husband. Here's my point. Does Christ submit? Yes. Yeah. Christ submits to the Father. Therefore, let me ask you this question. Is submission a bad thing if Christ does it? No. No. Biblical submission is not a bad thing, ladies. Biblical submission is something that Christ did in his makeup, his order, in what he was assigned to do. He did it. It doesn't mean, it does not mean submission does not imply weakness or lack thereof at all. Was Christ submitted to the Father? Was Christ therefore less in power than God? No. Was Christ less in abilities? No. In fact, Colossians' whole argument, Christ is the fullness of all God. And yet, he submits to the Father. Why? It's not because he was in any way diminished by submission. It was all about function and order. It was about operation. It wasn't about value, ability. It wasn't about personage. It was about management how things were to function. That God said in the Trinity, it's going to be this way, we are equal, but the Father, Christ is under the Father, the Spirit under those, so as we function. So too, man is the leader in the home, the wife submits, not because of an inability or ineptitude, it's because of management, because of orderliness, that's it. It's not an attack on ladies. Ladies are not inferior. In fact, if you say or suggest or try to imply that at all, what do you do with this text? What do you do with, he says, I will therefore that the younger woman marry, bear children, guide or manage the house. Are you telling me that God commands the ladies to make sure the operation of the house is, is going well because ladies are incompetent? I mean, what, what institution on the world, in the world, demands greater ability, greater wisdom than managing a family? Families, they, they make impact for generations. What happens in one family? And he says the ladies are the ones to be managing the house, keeping things in order. Ladies, you know this is true. Keeping your husband in order, that's a job. 
Helping your kids, that's a job. It's, it, it takes great ability. Great. You read Proverbs 31. Tell me that Proverbs 31, that that woman is incompetent. I mean, you ladies read Proverbs 31 and you say, oh, she intimidates me so much. The Proverbs 31 woman, I read that and I go, oh my, I am just so little compared to her. I got to tell you an honest truth. When I read Proverbs 31, I think the same thing about me and her. That she is just super gal. And yet what he's revealing in that passage is ladies are very competent, very enabled through the Spirit of God to do a lot. So do not, do not, do not even suggest that when we come to Scriptures and we say that Scripture says ladies are to submit, that we are implying in any way or shape or form that ladies are inferior in value or ability to men. That is not true. The Bible doesn't even suggest that or get near it. Nor does this passage say men are to be elevated to a place that they can be authoritarian, dictatorial. That you have to get up and in the morning when you say hello, you go, hello husband. Okay, or what this. It's not like that at all. That is not what this passage implies. This passage when it says ladies submit to your husbands doesn't say that he automatically therefore he is the tyrant, the despot, the dictator of the house. And that you'd make no decisions that you just do whatever he says and he's got to tell you everything you're supposed to do. It doesn't say that. In fact, I've given you a parallel passage. In Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 and 17 it tells you as a body, how you are supposed to relate to me as the pastor of the church and the other pastors. Do you know what word he uses? You are supposed to submit to me. But in that same vein of thinking, in that same, he says in 1 Peter, those of you who are pastors, do not lord over the flock, but lead by example. And you're to lead by example, not lord over. So if we make the parallel here, and to me it's a consistent, men, you're supposed to lead, but you're not to lord over your wives. This passage does not imply, does not suggest that the men are in a dict dictatorial, authoritative position, or that ladies are incapable, not at all. Some of you would say, and some of you have heard, this is the greatest criti criticism we're going to hear as Bible believers. The Bible doesn't apply to today. It was only limited to that little period of time. Let me expand that little bit of time when it talks about family. And show you biblically, it wasn't just when Paul was writing to a Roman and Greek society. This is first suggested in the Garden of Eden. We're going to see this a little bit later on. That from the very beginning of creation, there was leadership set up. There was, there was the function and order set up for the family. Thousands of years before Paul is writing. Then Abraham and Sarah are used... Hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul is writing, she is used an example of following Abraham's leadership. Then there are multiple passages given that talks about the same concept to various regions, not just in Greek, uh, Greece or in Rome, but it was spread out. This isn't limited. This idea of ladies being submission and we have evolved to such a point that we no longer need to listen to the word of God. If we say that, then we say that born again is no longer apl applicable today. Then we say heaven is no longer applicable today. Then we say children obey your parents is no longer applicable. And none of you want to say that. Okay. 
So we know that it's really, really, really beneficial. It applies to us. But it, let's make, this is what it is, okay? Or not is. It is not easy for ladies to follow their husbands. It is not easy. How do I know that? Well, number one, Satan, Satan's going to attack you in this area. That's what he did with Eve. He got Eve in his temptation to try to disrupt the order of the home. He went to her first so that she would go and give direction to Adam. And that's what's brought up in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that, that she broke the order of the home that God had set up. We also know that in Genesis 3, do you remember when he gives the curse? He says that unto the ladies, the part of the curse is that your pain in childbearing shall be, anybody remember? Increased. Okay, part of the curse, which implies there was initial pain even before the fall, okay, but it's going to be increased and it's going to be more of a difficulty as far as bearing children. I think Genesis 3.16 implies that same thing about your desire shall be to your husbands and he shall control over you, have control, is what was there set in order beforehand it's going to become more difficult now under the curse. Just like you could, you, you did farming, Adam and Eve did farming and gardening ahead of time, but after the curse, now it was going to be more difficult. This area of submitting to the husband, following the leadership, because of your sin nature, it's going to be more difficult, which leads me to another area of why it's difficult. It's difficult because of self. You're raised to be a thinker. You're raised, ladies, to be able to be somewhat independent and to say, okay, I'm going to you know, make good. I'm going to have choice here. I'm going to grow in this area, grow. And you become an independent person. And all of a sudden in our culture, there you are, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, going through college. And you've, you've, create, you've made lots of decisions. And all of a sudden, boom, you say, I do, you're done. And now you're supposed to submit to him. And that whole adjustment of, oh, hey, now, I mean, getting married and saying I do and we're done, it's difficult that first few years anyway. Amen? <laughs> None of you had any issues. Okay. Some of you are saying, what do you mean the first few years? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> okay. There's going to be difficulties that way. Okay. I think another reason that it's very difficult in this day and age is society discourages this. Totally. Society says, oh, you know, submission is bad. And there's another reason why it can be so difficult. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm trying to be really frank and honest. It could be your spouse. He makes it difficult. Because he doesn't lead. He, he makes it real hard. He, he could be like this guy. This guy was really critical of his wife. He was just, you know, rude to her, would down, you know, diminish her and, and call her all kinds of, you know, you're stupid, you're dumb, all these different types of things. But she was beautiful and he loved her. He goes to God one day and he's in the conversation with God. And, and again, this is a silly story. So there's God speaking to him directly. He says, God, why did you make my wife so beautiful? And God responds, so you would love her. But God, why did she, you make her so dumb? So she would love you. Okay. Some spouses can make it hard. Okay. Uh, so where we go with this is just remind ourselves. Okay. The terminology here. The terminology is, okay, take your place, follow. And within that, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary had something good. He says that that word is also used at times to support, to prop up, not just to follow, but to, to back up. 
to, to give that support, to, to assist that person. Doesn't that remind you of another term that's used with husbands and wives? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where all of a sudden we go back to that concept that God said, I will make a woman to be a helpmeet, to complete him. That takes us all the way back in that concept that we immediately go, it's not good for that man to be alone. I will make helpmeet, a completer, not a competitor, a completer, not a criticizer, a completer, somebody who is being supportive. And again, I mentioned this earlier. I mentioned that this has application to everyone in the room. Those of you who are young men, you're looking and you're saying, okay, how would this apply to me? You look for a gal who is a completer, not a competitor. You look for a gal who is going to assist and help and have, shows confidence, not somebody who is going to dictate to you and manipulate you. Because this is a biblical concept that the wife is supposed to help complete the husband. It's kind of like this couple, that, the true couple of the Flaherty's who were in Pittsburgh. He was a city manager, you know, high in the city position. Named Pete, his wife's name is Nancy. And uh, so he was involved in managing and maintaining all these city projects. And one day he and his wife went to the field site where they were building some massive construction site for the city of Pittsburgh. And he recalled in his book, he talks about how they got to the work site and he's meeting with the engineer, the architect. They're standing by the car and she often did some of his secretarial stuff and to assist him. And so they're all standing around the blueprints on the hood of the car talking. And all of a sudden at this construction site, they hear from over here hear some guy saying, Nancy, Nancy, and waving. And his wife looks up, and she's kind of a little quizzical. Who's this guy who knows me and is waving at me? And he identified himself. He says, don't you remember me? We dated in high school. Oh, yeah. So she went over, and they were talking for a little bit. The business is all completed, and the Flaherty's are driving away. And as they're driving away, he's going to tease his wife. And he says to his wife, he says, hey, Nancy, aren't you glad you married me and not that guy? If you had married that guy, you'd be the wife of some construction guy. You know, that's just, you're doing grunt work. She says, no, I wouldn't. If I had married that guy, he'd be the city manager. Her point was, <laughs> she made him. And there's truth to that, is there not? That the wife, the, the, in a godly situation, your wife helps make you. I mean, this is, this is a truism for the Burgraff household. Okay? Without Deb... I would be a wreck. I wouldn't be able to do what I do. I wouldn't have the abilities to teach without her support, her backing, her prompting, her encouragement, her get with it, buddy, at times. The wife helps complete, helps make the husband. So he's given this principle. He's laid it out very simply, very, very shortly. Just one little phrase. Wives, here's what you're supposed to do. Now, what we need to do, and some of you older ladies who are going to teach younger ladies, some of you are going to teach your daughters these principles, your families, you're going to get together and talk about how does this look for helping your kids in the future. Here's what you got to do with this text. How does it look? What does this really look like if the wife is submitting to a husband, is following? I would think some of these are the way it has to be portrayed. You let him lead in the home. You let him be the leader in the home. I think practically it means this. You let him make many of the decisions for the family. You let him make many, ultimately anyway, let him make the decisions. There's this couple 
married 70 years. They're celebrating kids, grandkids, neighbors are all there. 70th anniversary, they're celebrating. And one of the people there said, hey, Grandpa, what's the secret of your successful marriage after 70 years? He says, oh, that's easy. He says, the day we got married, we made a deal. The deal was I, uh, that she would make all the small decisions. I would make all the major decisions. And after 70 years, I've never made a single decision. She's made them all because all of them have been small. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, just weaseling in and talking about it and saying something, but in reality, opposing your will. What we're talking about is letting him make ultimate decisions and supporting him in the decisions. Showing, speaking, actually being supportive. What we're talking about is this, not insisting on your way, your will, your wants. You know, when we drive down the road, usually we have one hand, maybe, okay, maybe none, you know, the knee. But we have one hand on the steering wheel, two hands on the steering wheel, but would it be horrible if you had four hands on the steering wheel? You're trying to drive, and the person with you is trying to drive at the same time. Chaos, crashes, that's the way many homes are. Is that instead of letting one person drive, there's the insistence that we both drive and we both turn whenever we want. It'll, it'll end up in a crash. It's not what God designed for your home. God did not say you are going to be equal partners in everything. He didn't say that. He says, here's what I want. Ladies, I'm going to speak to you first because the society has put you down. I'm lifting you up and I'm giving you a really vital role and recognition of it in the home. But at the same time, recognize that your following is really, really, really important for your family. Your following him would look this way. Okay? You would be respectful of him. You don't follow if you're being disrespectful. You don't follow if you're being highly critical. Your following is not diminishing your spouse when he's not there, cutting him down, when he's taking too long in the store, and you're going to make comments to the kids about, yeah, dad's not sharp, dad's this, dad. That's not, that is not submitting. The idea here is that you let him be the primary spokesman. Let him be the one to give answers, questions. I know that some of you are much more extrovertish than your husband is, but work at being a little bit quieter at times and letting him give answers when the kids are asking for something you know let him exercise some of that leadership encourage it that way not insisting that you become the center of the home that everything revolves around you as a helpmate as a compliment it revolves around christ whatever the lord is leading the husband you be supportive of that and not me my way now, in this text, you're going through, I want you to just keep this in mind. Those are practical. This applies to you. This applies to you. If you're married, this applies to you. If you're a Christian wife, this applies to you. It says wives. Not, he doesn't say older wives or younger wives or those of you except for in Lebanon County, PA. This wives. This is to be your goal all the time. Not just on Sunday when you come to church and it looks good in front of your friends. Not just, okay, when, when it, you know, the kids are up, then we're going to do it. And after that, man, I'm going to let loose. This is supposed to be your, your action and attitudes all the time. By the way, the words really read this way. Wives, you submit yourself. Not the husband submit you. You choose this for yourself. 
You say, I am going to adopt this attitude of following his leadership. If you're going to do it biblically, not just voluntarily, it means you have to have the right attitude about it. This is not approaching and saying, I'm going to be a martyr for the cause. I guess I'll submit. And portray that. By virtue of that, you have just portrayed a disrespect, disregard for God's word, God's will, and your spouse. So you want to do this with the right attitude. But there is limitation. Read the passage. What is God's limit? Wives, how far does this go? There's a stopping point. What's the stopping point? There's two. You said them. One is to your own husbands. This is not a, a statement made broad in the church. Wives, submit to all the husbands in this. You don't want to do that. It's, bad. It's, it's going to be hard enough just to submit to your own husband. You don't want to submit to everyone's standards within the body. Because some may have different standards. So your own husband's. You submit. And somebody else mentioned it. It talks about you know, the idea as, as, as uh, is proper before the Lord. If your husband is asking you, telling you, directing you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, there you stop and say, we, we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay. And so your, your limitations are, if he's asking me to sin, go against our conscience, whatever, then no. But it's supposed to be my own husband. Now, taking that a little bit more, let me just answer a really important question. Not just from this text. Why is this important to do? Why is this so important? The passage, this, or this concept, is stated in several passages, and I want you to catch this, that the reason for this, number one reason, is creation order. This is the way God created the world to operate when it was a perfect world. He said this, I suffer not a woman to usurp authority over the man, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. It's in a text of ladies submitting to, why? Because this is the order of creation. That order of creation didn't change because of sin. It was the way it was. God, in setting up the function and the order of society and the most basic institution in society being the family, men are to lead, ladies are to follow creation order. Then there's another reason. And again, those of you who are older teaching the younger, you would run into this text. Titus says, teach the, to the older ladies, teach the young women to love their husbands, to be obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What's he mean by that? That the word of God be not blasphemed. Maybe he's implying what's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where again he talks about the ladies submitting and especially if you have a spouse who isn't following the word of God, but you portray the right attitude, you do the right things, that they may be one without your, I'm going to use the word nagging. That the spirit of God may bring them to conviction. That the word of God may be elevated, may really make impact. Let me read, without, without the sake, of, not to bore you, but let me read a story of this. This is given by a Chicago evangelist here years, uh, several years ago. He used to tell the story that he claimed was true because of the people he met, this couple. The husband had been a drunkard, spending a lot of the evenings with his jovial companions at the local tavern. One night, 
He was boasting about the idea that he was in charge of his house. He suggested that if he took a group of his friends from the bar with him at home at midnight and asked his Christian wife to get up and cook supper for them, she would do it without complaining. The crowd of men at the bar considered it a vain boast, and they dared him to try it. So that drunkard, with his drunken crowd, followed him to the home. He made the unreasonable demand that his wife get up and feed them all. She obeyed, dressed, came down, prepared a very nice supper, and served it as cheerfully as if she had been expecting them all along. After supper, one of the men sheepishly asked her how she could be so kind when they had been so unreasonable and when she did not approve of their conduct. Her reply, Sir, when my husband and I were married, we were both sinners. It has pleased God to call me out of that dangerous condition, but my husband continues in it. I tremble for his future state. Were he to die as he is right now, he would go to hell and be forever miserable. I think it my duty to render his present existence as comfortable as possible and to present the gospel as often as I can. The evangelist ends up, not long afterwards, her husband and some of those, those drunkard friends got saved. Can God use a testimony of graciousness and proper order in the home to impact other people with the gospel? Absolutely. Now, back to our text. Here's your third reason. It's commanded. Imperative verb. Wives, you submit yourselves. You choose this, that you will do this, which means God has ordered this to you. This, does, this is not. Please understand. Don't walk out of here and say, our church said. No, no, no. Our church says nothing. God says this. We believe it because God said it. We preach it because God ordered this. So if you say, I'm going to adopt God's values where the word of God is dwelling within me, as mentioned in verses 16 and 17, then you're going to abide by this. If you're one who says, I'm going to exalt Christ, that in whatever I do, verse 17, whatever I do in all things, I'm going to magnify Christ, then you're going to do this. The whole idea is that this is not a conditional command. Please don't put this out of your mind right away. Don't say, well, I will do this if he... And we're really good at that. We're really good at reminding the other person what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to do this. Yeah, but you're supposed to do that. Well, I'll do it if you do. No. God doesn't put any conditions. Wives, this is what you do. Well, what about him? We'll get to him. But you just do what you're supposed to do. That's all the passage says. Very pointedly, it tells you. Now, there's another reason, and it's given in the text, because this is fit in the Lord. That word literally comes from the idea of having a contract, having an agreement. What, you, what is the standard that has been adopted? And so this is appropriate. This is what is proper. In the Lord gives you several suggestions. The idea, this is obviously from God, but it gives the idea, this is what God approves of. Which means to me that you submitting is a spiritually proper thing to do. It is a spiritual service to the Lord. That you're doing this to honor Christ, which tells you that the way you're going to do it is through Christ's help. So you got all this. You got, and ladies, you're sitting here and you're being attentive, and I thank you for that. And you are saying, okay, this is what, you know, what I'm supposed to do. But curiosity has you going. Where you're going to be saying, yeah, I understand all this, but what about him? He's been nudging me the entire sermon. 
you know, what can I nudge him back and give him a whack? Can you give me anything, Wayne? I will. Okay, I'll give you something right now. Okay, in this passage, he's going to talk about husbands. He's going to mention them in the next verse. But before we go to the next verse next week, he's already talked to husbands. He's already said something to them. For the wife to submit to follow the husband, the guy's got to lead. It's implied. It's assumed. He's already stated that if you're supposed to listen, he better be talking. If you're supporting him, he better be going doing something that's worthy of support. In, in other words, you're supposed to be the leaders in the home, gentlemen. Okay? She's supposed to follow, but she can't follow if you're not leading. So I, I plead with you, okay? Lead in your home and let them know where you're leading. Please don't say, well, I don't even know where I'm going. Well, that's, <laughs> that's dangerous, the blind leading the blind. What's implied in this text? Before I wrap up, let me just take a few moments and talk to the men. You can say amen, ladies. Okay, there we go. We'll talk to the men. Here, in this passage, okay, already what's required of the men to lead is this. You must discuss. You must dialogue. You must have some conversation about some concerns where your wife needs to know what are we doing. You've got, you've got to be talking about these things. You're the leader. You should be in, in, uh, instigating these conversations. Now, some of you, and this happens oftentimes in marital, premarital counseling, marriage counseling, people say, well, like, what are we supposed to talk about? All we talk about is the kids. Okay? There's other things you can talk about. And you should be talking about, and gentlemen, you should be starting these conversations. You should be discussing, what are we doing financially? It's one of the three major areas that people have problems with in their marriage, and divorce is pointed to the financial problems. You should be talking about what kind of budget. I had one man tell me one time, he says, well, I settle that. I tell her that she can spend all 50 bucks to feed all six of us every week. <laughs> really? Why don't you discuss on how she's supposed to do that? And so discuss this idea about payment. Instead of just saying, well, I give you the check, you deposit it. What'd you do with it all? That's not discussing. That's not giving direction. That's just beating up somebody as a bully. You need to discuss the plans. You say, okay, we're, we're planning to buy something for the future. What are we going to do? How are we going to work this out? What's the plans financially? You need to discuss family standards. Somewhere, somehow in your home, you're to be honoring Jesus Christ, and that includes what do you do for entertainment? What are we going to have for our kids as they get older? What kind of dress? What's going to be our dress standard? What's going to be the idea of what speech? What, what kind of words are we going to allow in our home? Are we going to allow cussing? You say, we will be one. Well, what about using God's name in vain with gosh and golly? Gee. You know, oh, my God. What are you going to have for standards? What are you, going to, you need to discuss these things. You need to discuss what is acceptable, what isn't. By the way, if you make a standard, then you need to, you need to follow it yourself. Okay, so you've got to discuss it. You need to talk about how we're raising the kids. You know, I mentioned it earlier, when, I, when, when we first brought the oldest one home, you know, they didn't come with a manual. You know, me, when I put things together, and I'm sure I'm the only one in the room, I hate reading directions. I look at the picture on the box. Well, the hospital didn't send even the box with a picture. And it's like, what do we do with this creature? And what do we do as they get older? Well, God's, God's word is our manual. But in our discussion, we had to talk about what are we going to do in training? 
What are we going to do in teaching? What, what are we going to make as important? What battles are we going to pick? What is going to be the areas of even the discipline? How is it going to happen? Who's going to do it? You know, and, and not just dictate, but give direction. Discuss and come to a plan. Come to a plan. How are we going to do this? In most of your homes, you both are outside, working outside the home. That's the majority of what's happening in, in most homes in America right now. Well, how are we going to divide the chores? Easy. She's the manager of the home. She's got it all. That's great discussion. That's a great way of treating it. What are you going to do for family gatherings? What are you doing for family events? What, what's your plans? What are you going to do to get, go together something that your family would enjoy, not just you guys? Well, I decide we're all going hunting because I like hunting. So we're all going to sit in a tree stand. Yeah. That's great leadership. Making unilateral decisions that your family despises you for as they get older. That happens. That happens in time. So you need to say, okay, what, are we, what is our standard for friends? Who are we going to have friends? What about our kids' friends? We need to discuss this. We need to talk about We need to talk about church. Where are we going to go to church? Guys, you're the leader. Where are you going to go? Why are you going there? How is your family going to get involved? You're the leader. It's you to set the standards to say, here's what we need to do to get involved. You, you, you've got to set some goals and some reasons. How are you going to raise your kids? And what's the spiritual development? What do you have in mind for those kids when they're preschoolers, for getting them to learn Bible, to getting them to learn principles? When they're in the grade school, what are you doing? How, what's your plan to teach them? What's your plan when they're, when they're adolescents and they need to learn biblical standards about sexuality? What's your plan, guys? What are you doing? What are you leading? Well, I just say, you run with it. I led, I gave it all to her. You know, when somebody expressed it this way, when the wife submits, she said, this woman shared with me this morning, she says, I felt liberated. I felt liberated because then I didn't have all the pressure as I followed because my husband did the leading. Does your wife feel liberated? Does she feel confident? Or does she get scolded because she didn't read your mind? She didn't know what you wanted her to do, though you had been thinking about it all along. But, she, but you never talked. Leadership in the home is you sitting down, discussing these important, vital areas, and saying, we're working together. And as we're working together, if we're at a spot where one of us has to vote, you know, that we're going this way or this way, that's my responsibility. I'll gladly take it. And she says, great, good, I'll follow you. But let her follow you by giving her the leadership. The other things that we wanted to mention quickly is if you don't come to conclusion, you guys do it. Give clear directions. What I mean by directions is give explanation. Let them know how it's to be done, why it's to be done. Explain yourself. Don't do this, hey, by the way, Next week, we're going here for vacation. Why? I said so. You can do that with your kids when they're two years old. Don't do that with your wife. Or you won't make it for... Oh, never mind. Okay, just... 
Provide, here, this is, this is so critical. If you're going to lead, you better provide an example she can follow. You better provide an example that she respects. Does your wife respect you? As a spiritual leader of your home, does your wife respect you? Or would you have to admit this morning that I lead, the only way I lead my home is I drive us to church. But the rest of the week, I don't engage in prayer. I don't encourage Bible talk. She's the one that does that. And right now she's sitting there and wanting to kick me and nudge me. But she's gracious enough just to sit quietly and let Wayne do the kicking and the nudging. Guys, are you leading? Are you providing some leadership? And then you turn to her and say, thank you for your input. Thank you for following me. Thank you for your support. Now, ladies, bring it all together. Here's what we do as we wrap up. Is this idea, is there some issue that you have been holding back or holding out on when it comes to surrendering to his leadership? Maybe this week you need to change. Is there some way that you can work this week to look and say, honey, whatever you decide, and really mean it and live by that? Is there this week, can you turn to him and say, thank you for making that decision. Thank you for this leadership that you've provided in this area. Thank you. Is there something that you will put out of your life this week? Stop the critical remarks. Stop the cutting remarks. And be complimentary, being grateful, and working at it. Not complaining about him, but showing submission via respect. Is there some time this week you're going to go to the Lord and you're going to say, God, I thank you for my husband. I thank you that he does provide leadership. I know he's not perfect, but neither am I. Yeah, and I know that there's some times where he struggles, but there's sometimes I struggle. But thank you so much that he continues to lead despite some of the times that I've given him a hard time. God, thank you. So we, we walk away and we say, okay, it's nice, we heard this, but what do we do with it? If you are genuine, if you really want to make Christ preeminent, if you are genuine where the word of God is really going to dwell within your hearts, if you are genuine where you say, in all things I'm going to do it so that, that I express that he is glorified in word and deed, then you're going to live by this. Then wives, you're going to submit, and husbands, you're going to lead. That's what you'll work on this week. That's what you'll do. It's not what you're going to say right here. It's what you're going to do when you go out there. And what you, what you do says a lot about you. It really describes you more than just coming to church. Okay, years we put up there, 1898. Guy moves west from the east coast. He's in that area where the ranches are building. He wants to get himself settled. He gets his ranch. He gets his cattle. He gets everything. And then... He says, once I'm settled and secure, I'm going to bring a wife out. But he didn't know anybody. So he sends a a newspaper ad back to the East Coast. And in this newspaper ad, it just says, man interested in setting up a pen pal relationship with some woman, possibility of marriage in the future, hi. And he started correspondence. A number of ladies started writing him. After a period of time, most, most every one of them stopped except for one. Her name was Molly. Molly continued to write, and they shared correspondence. 
True story. They continued to share correspondence over a period of a couple, two, three years. And then he proposed to her in the letter. They had never seen each other. They had never even seen pictures of each other. But through this correspondence that was happening a lot, he proposed, she accepted, she said goodbye to her parents, and she went out. She arrives at the little town, at the large town where there was a railway station, and he was going to come and get her from the little town. When she arrived, she gets off the train. Now, mind you, a lot of people got off the train. There was all different types of people that got off the train. But he immediately, Ben immediately came up to her and said, Molly, I'm glad you made it, and he handed her a gift. She was flabbergasted. She looked at him and says, how did you know I was Molly in the midst of all these people? And he commented, he says, you know, I got to know you through your words. I recognized you through your words. She had never, ever given a picture. She doesn't recall describing herself. But her words were so impacting, it described her. Is that what Peter talks about? When he says, your words, your demeanor, your spirit really reveals you. It is more impacting of who you are. Ladies, I ask you this as we close. By the words and your conduct, have you revealed the way you treat your husband, the way you respond to him, have you revealed Christ is preeminent in your life? Father, Thank you for the attentiveness of these folk. Thank you for their time, their listening. But now I pray that it would go beyond just hearing. I pray it would go to living. I pray by your spirit that you would help the men, the ladies here in this room to live up to this standard that you have set so we can make you preeminent. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. So we need your help. For some here, this doesn't have immediate application because their homes, they're not the same. Because of divorce or death, because of age, because if they're too young, they don't have their own home. Or they're old enough that their kids are all gone, their spouse is gone. For them, I pray that you would use these feeble words to just provide some form of a challenge and encouragement that even in their lives, their daily conduct makes a difference. And that they would glean truths from this so that they can help out friends and family. But together with the parents of all the young people in this auditorium, we pray, and grandparents, we pray that you would help our next generations, our kids, our grandkids, to choose wisely when they choose a spouse. I pray. Help them in that most important earthly decision to have standards of what we've just talked about so that they experience the fullness of Christ's blessings upon their future families if you tarry. Give our kids and our grandkids great, great, great wisdom in this choice of a spouse. Help us to have a good day in the choices that we make this day as far as what we do for lunch, who we're going to talk with, and what we're going to do when it comes to Bible study this evening. Help us to honor you, to please you, and thank you so much for your kindness to us. Father, give these folk a great day. Amen.